In a field of study that is dominated by anglophone communication, how can we expand the value of translation so that our scholarship can be communicated in multiple languages? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Pablo Miño in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Bochkowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamad bin Khalif Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Facundo Suenzo, a doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx and Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Estas son nuestras historias. Esas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am thrilled to have with us Pablo Miño, Pablo is Assistant Professor of Public Relations in the College of Communication at Boston University, where he is also affiliated core faculty for or in the Center for Latin American and Caribbean Studies. Pablo uh, did his BA um, at Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile with a BA in journalism and a minor in contemporary history. After that, he did an MA at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill in the School of Journalism and Media um, with a focus on mass communication and strategic communication. And then he completed his PhD at the same institution at UNC Chapel Hill um, with a PhD in Media and Communication and a graduate certificate in Latin American Studies where for his dissertation, he was the recipient of the Rachel Davis Mercy Outstanding PhD Student Award. Pablo's uh, research and teaching interests are in public relations, critical branding, intercultural communication, political economy of globalization, Latin American studies, and uh, research methods that encompass interviews, textual analysis, ethnography, and survey. Even though Pablo finished uh, his PhD uh, less than a year ago, he's already very prolific author with a number of publications, two that came out last year, and already two which are one which is accepted for publication um, in Communication, Culture and Critique in 2023. Pablo, welcome to El Café Latinx. Thank you so much, Pablo, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all ours. So, Pablo, um, tell us, how did it all begin? That is, what was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? Great question. So it started in college. Um, I, as you said, I, I went to college at Pontificia Universidad Católica de Chile uh, in Santiago. Um, and I my idea was to become a reporter, to become a journalist. I was um, from high school. I was just very interested in reading, writing. I loved like literature class, history class. And I thought that a career in journalism would be a good path for me moving forward because it kind of like brought everything that I liked together. So I think that was really kind of like 
like the career that that was really good for me journalism but then when I was in college three things happened um the first thing was that obviously I was very excited about the professional uh aspect of journalism and like actually doing journalism doing reporting and my undergrad institution they had amazing resources to do that and learn all of that and I enjoyed that enormously I had a blast studying journalism it was so fun but the other thing that happened was that my undergrad institution had a lot of classes uh, on theory, uh, on research, and on the history of mass communication and media, which I thought at the minute that at the moment, um, and now looking back, I see that that's that is a strength of our program in Chile um, that they offer all of those courses because it's not something that I've seen as super common here in the U.S. But we did have that. We did have theory. We did have history. We did have uh, research methods in mass communication and uh, in media. And so taking those courses, also media ethics, um, was another course that was offered. And I enjoyed that very, very much. So in college, a lot of that happened that I was starting to uh, study journalism and the professional aspect of journalism, but at the same time, learning more about the theory behind it or questioning why we do the things that we do. Why is it that you choose a specific story over others? We had a course, a course called uh, News Theory, that it was very intense on theory on what makes the news and what doesn't make the news. And it was a very hard class. And I obviously, like I passed the course, but at the same time, it was really challenging. It was really, it was hard to pass that course, but at the same time, it was really fulfilling and exciting to learn about that. So I wasn't necessarily like the best student by any means, but I did, I did enjoy a lot that aspect of my undergrad career. So that's one thing. The other thing that happened was that um, when I was in my fourth year in college, um, I was awarded the opportunity to go on a study abroad experience for a month in Salzburg, Austria. Uh, and that experience truly changed my life. Uh, it, it really meant everything to me. Um, because it was a seminar on media literacy, and it brought scholars and also students from very different countries. I, I had people there, I met people there from Argentina, from Mexico, from Europe, from the Middle East, from China, from the US. And all of us were there in this study abroad program learning about media literacy and learning about the power of media. And just going on that experience uh, was just like, extremely insightful and impactful to me. Uh, in that experience, I met uh, Professor Susan Mahler at the University of Maryland. She's an expert on uh, news fatigue and international reporting. And it was just really insightful to learn from her and hear from her. I also met Steve Reese at the University of Texas at Austin, expect, expect expert on framing theory. Um, so I knew back then that like that's something that I was interested in. And obviously I didn't know much about academia at the time uh, or about a PhD or what that entailed, but I was just very drawn to it. I was interested in learning more about it and what that process entailed, just even applying into programs. I didn't know much. So when I came back from that experience uh, for my second semester, my fourth year in college, um, I started talk, talking to some professors about that experience, and then some of them had PhDs. So I was asking them, what was your experience like doing a PhD? And also, how would you recommend me moving forward? 
I was also a teaching assistant at the time uh, of some courses in, in undergrad. So I already was getting some exposure to teaching and mentoring students. And I thought that that was really like a great career. I enjoyed that a lot and doing that. And I am very appreciative of the fact that my school afforded that opportunity to undergrads at the time. Um, so I was doing that. And then I also started talking to some professors and asking them about their experiences doing PhDs. And one of them was very um, straightforward. And he told me he got his PhD in Spain. And at the time uh, in, in, my, in Catolica, there were uh, some PhDs, uh, some of them had gotten their programs in Spain. Only one uh, professor got her PhD uh, in the U.S. at the time, uh, actually at UNC Chapel Hill. So that's how I knew about my school. Uh, but then this professor who had gotten his PhD in Spain, he told me, if you are thinking about a career in academia, first of all, you should do a PhD. First, uh, Second of all, it cannot be in Chile, which at the time I think they were considering about opening a potential program, in, a PhD program in communication that actually opened up a few years later. Um, but then he said, don't do it in Chile. And also like me, don't do it in Spain, uh, do it in the US. And he was very forward about it. You don't wanna go somewhere else, go to the US because that's where uh, the most cutting edge research has been done and that's where you'll get the most out of it. And he told me also, um, right, and this was 2010, uh, at this very moment, uh, we have three uh, ex-students from our school who are doing PhDs in the US, uh, specifically at UT Austin. <laughs> and that was, uh, ended up being Sebastián Valenzuela, Ingrid Bachman, and Teresa Correa. So I knew of them. I didn't know them, but I knew of them back then. And then when I graduated, then they came back to Chile, started teaching, but we never overlapped. Uh, I was never, I never took courses with them, but I knew of them. So, and I knew that UT Austin would have been a great school. So I graduated in, in 2011. I went with my life. I worked for a little as a reporter, and then I worked doing PR for, for the government of Chile and pro-Chile. Uh, but then when I, while I was doing that, I was still very interested in academia and, and still very interested in like being connected to uh, my university because I wanted to continue exploring this opportunity of even applying to grad school. So I think in around 2012 or 2013, I went to UT Austin's website uh, to the School of Journalism to see who were the students at the moment. And that's how I knew of Magdalena Saldaña, who is now an assistant professor at Católica in Chile. Um, and I reached out to her. Um, I didn't know her, but I said, like, I know that you're in this program and I'm, interest I'm interested in learning more about it. So could you tell me your what your experience has been like? And she was very generous with her time and just like giving me feedback on like, these are the things that you should be on the lookout for if you're interested in doing a PhD. Obviously consider UT Austin, but consider other schools. She told me to consider UNC Chapel Hill as well uh, on other schools that offer PhDs in media and communication. So that that process took me a while. I, I had to like obviously learn um, how to navigate the GRE, the TOEFL, all those application um tests uh, and then just learning how to present myself and what was my story what was my my narrative like why did i want to do that in the first place uh and i went through the process um and i ended up um going first to my my master's program in mass communication at unc chapel hill and the reason why i went there was because i was interested in the possibility of 
then pursuing the PhD. But at the same time, that master's program was versatile enough that it would allow me to have a professional way out of it if I decided that that's all I wanted. Because I was also aware of the fact that getting a PhD would mean a huge investment in time and resources and a, a, a true commitment. So I wanted to have more of the flexibility of uh, maybe this can be just a master's program or maybe could lead to something more. And just the master's program experience was great to like just make, making me convince myself that academia was a potential path for me. So, yeah. All right. That's a fascinating story. So did you apply to other schools for your master's? I did. I did apply to seven schools and I was only accepted at two. <laughs> All right. The, the other five had bad taste, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I applied to seven schools. I got into NYU uh, and also to UNC Chapel Hill. And obviously NYU would have been a, like a super exciting experience. But at the time I was going with my family, with my wife and my son, who at the time was three years old. And then just like living in Manhattan seemed unattainable. So that's why we went to Chapel Hill. And it ended up being a wonderful experience. Absolutely. So, and I'm glad it, it it was. So, 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 how was it? How was the experience of being a student from Latin America, um, from you know the nation's capital, and going to a relatively small college town uh, in the Carolinas? Yes. So, I loved my time in North Carolina. I obviously like. I loved it. I. And I also love Santiago, which is where I'm from. Uh, it's a big city. Um, and I definitely missed that big city vibe that Santiago offered. Uh, but I think going to Chapel Hill was the best decision that I could have made both for my master's and Peachy program because it's a very, um, again, it is in the South, which obviously comes in the American South, which comes with um, with history and with a specific um culture associated with it so that's there but at the same time I do think that Chapel Hill is like this little place that it's very open to uh research and education and the people there are super smart and like just being able to have all the access to all of these resources was just incredible like UNC as a university obviously their school of journalism is very well known and respected, but at the same time, I was able to take courses in sociology and political science and history in world-class departments for all of these disciplines. And that was just like a phenomenal experience. And I would not trade it for anything, honestly. It was such a good experience to be there and live there and study there. And what would you say were sort of the ways in which or some of the ways in which that experience uh, made you grow intellectually, right? Um, not just acquiring new knowledge or ideas, but that, you know, allowed you to move to a different uh, stage in your intellectual development. I think UNC pushed me so much uh, to grow intellectually. Um, I think that and something that they did, and I still, I think they still do it, is that if you're accepted to the master's program, that does not guarantee that you're going to be accepted for their PhD. So each admissions process 
is separate. It's not like they admit you for your master's and then you're automatically enrolled for your PhD. It, it, it's totally different. So when you are in the master's program, I do think that the faculty really pushed me to really question myself, like, is this what you really want, you know? And if you want it, prove it to us. And I like just that, but not in a bad way at all. It was very much like, we just want to make absolute, absolute, we want to be absolutely sure that this is what you want to do and that you're going to be successful. So I do think that my master's program, even though it did have uh, both a professional and um, like a research oriented path, I kind of like was able to make use of both um, opportunities because I did take a lot of classes in public relations, advertising, um, um, branding, marketing, which are things that when, when I was in my undergrad, I didn't learn about any of those things. And I was doing PR professionally before coming to the United States. So it was really um, great to learn all of that from a professional standpoint and the program allowed me to have that but at the same time I also had to write a thesis and I also had to do a bunch of research and I also had to take classes in other departments so just having that opportunity of like blending both and having and again really taking the the questioning seriously is like okay like they're pushing me and i'm gonna question myself do i want a professional master's program do i want it more on, a, on an academic side and i think that experience really pushed me to to like even prove to myself and convince myself that this is what i wanted to do that i was fully convinced that this is what i wanted to do so the master's program was a great experience for for that and then once once i was in my phd it was obviously challenging but at the same time, I already had a focus. I already had an idea of what I wanted to study. And I think that faculty were much more receptive of that just because I had demonstrated that I that I needed that to be in that space. So it was a great experience. Pablo, how how did you choose your dissertation focus and you know the focus that you have so far pursued, right? I mean, it's not the study of nations as objects of branding. It's not very common in the social sciences, let alone in communication and media studies. I mean, you are not the only one. There are a few other people. It's not very common. How did you choose your topic and what kinds of challenges and opportunities came with, um, you know, focusing on a topic that is not as common as others? Yeah, yeah. So, well, before coming to the U.S., and as I said before, I did work in public relations for the government of Chile. Uh, specifically, I was working for ProChile. So ProChile is uh, it's an institution under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of, of the government of Chile that aims to promote exports, tourism, uh, and investment, but with a specific focus on exports of the country. So, for example, um, Chilean wine or Chilean mining or different services uh, from Chile, we were supporting the promotion of those industries in different markets uh, internationally. So I was working in the communications department of that institution, and I was doing basically PR for Chile for different industries. Um, the way that uh, we were structured there was that each one of us had a different market or specific uh, area of the world that we were focused on. And my markets were Canada, the US, Mexico, and Central America. So I was basically in charge of uh, coming up with strategies or communication strategies to promote different industries of 
Chile in these markets. And I was also working with agencies, PR agencies in the US and Canada, and also in some Central uh, Central American and Mexico, Central American nations and Mexico um, as countries. So that experience was, it was a great experience. I loved it. I love uh, doing that type of work. And it opened like that feel to me of like country branding, nation branding. And at the time, we didn't know much about that. I mean, there were some studies uh, and there were some scholars doing work, like work on nation branding. But at the time, we, I would say that we didn't know much. Um, and that was also something that when I was in my master's program, because I was studying uh, mass communication and I had to come up with a thesis project and a thesis topic, it was like, let's do something on nation branding because I do have this professional experience that could inform this thesis that I that I want to write on. And then I, I just want to learn more about it. So that was a great experience for me to learn more about nation branding, just doing the research for the thesis. And at the moment, uh, when I was doing that research, I was interested in learning more about how can we do this type of work better? <laughs> it was more about how do we do nation branding uh, effectively or how do we make it work for countries like Chile or countries uh, that do not have a very strong reputation or a travel reputation? I was thinking more about it from a management perspective, if that makes any sense. Like, how do we make this type of work more effectively? Uh, and that was my master's thesis focused on the promotion Chilean wine in the United States. And I love doing that, that work. But then once I was in my PhD, again, I had to continue doing my research on nation branding. And at the beginning, I started with that idea of how do we make nation branding more effective or more, um, again, like using PR, using branding, how do we, we use all of these different uh, disciplines to inform what a nation brand should be. But to learn and read more of the work of critical cultural scholars doing, again, work on nation branding. So uh, Nadia Kaneva or Melissa Ranchek or even Cesar Jimenez Martinez, uh, who is Chilean, he has been doing uh, research on nation branding. Um, I had an opportunity even to chat with Cesar a few times when I was in, in both in my PhD and, my, and in my master's program. So just learning from his experiences doing that type of work. And I think reading them and then also talking to him it opened that that space to me of like questioning more what is the business of branding a nation and what that entails. So when I had to choose a dissertation topic, that's that's what really um, fueled me to start thinking. Okay, like this, I I want this to be a dissertation, and I, I was thinking of, I was thinking about it like I I would love to write a book about like nation branding in Latin America because I I had seen that it, it it's kind of, it's such a new topic in a way. It's from the early 2000s uh, until today. So there's been like 20 years of nation branding in Latin America. Um, and I was very interested in, in, in doing that type of, like just documenting that. And that led me to do interviews. And then I coupled those interviews um, that the purpose of those interviews was to document what is nation branding in Latin America and who is doing this type of work and why are they doing it. And then those interviews were coupled with my analysis of the advertisements of these different countries' nation branding um, efforts. But yeah, that's what led me to do uh, to choose my that that specific dissertation topic. Um, and also from a public relations standpoint, which is something that is I think it's important to say, because when you are in the PhD program, I think it is important not not to like 
choose a specific field, but at the same time, have a home that you ground yourself in. And I did find in the public relations literature that that could be my home. And um, I've connected with people at conferences and other spaces that are public relations scholars. So I do ground my work using that that space, but I do, but I am interested in branding and I am interested in Latin American studies and kind of like bringing in everything together um, to, to, to the dissertation. So that's, that's how I came, came to, to it. <laughs> now, you have adopted a strong comparative lens, right? You do work across multiple countries in the Latin American region and the Latin American focus. How, how would you characterize the experience of doing comparative research and in particular on Latin America? What, what has been you know, the process so far um, in terms of um, you know, advantages and disadvantages and what kind of reception have you been getting for work that is focused on Latin America given that you are based in the US and you publish mostly in English? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely advantages and disadvantages. I do think, starting with the advantages, I have seen, particularly in the U.S., that there's much more of an interest, I would say, in learning about different regions of the world. So I do think that um, doing research in Latin America specifically is something that I've been slowly uh, being able to maintain a reputation of like a PR scholar focused on Latin America um, as a region. And then, as you said, comparing the realities of these of different countries and doing that type of work, um, I have seen more of an interest in learning about different regions of the world. So that's definitely an advantage. Um, I also think that an advantage is that I speak Spanish. So I get, and most of my work is qualitative. So I get to interview people and build rapport with them much more effectively just because of that shared culture and language, uh, which I think is, is great. But at the same time, that also comes with some challenges, right? So for example, translation of quotes or how do you best present your results to, again, on an English speaking audience, right? Or how do you justify enough that this region of the world is worthy of being studied? Um, I do think that there are challenges associated with that as well. So um, definitely advantages and disadvantages. About the reception in terms of publication process, uh, at conferences, among your peers? I think the reception has been great. And particularly in public relations, I do think that other fields like I'm thinking maybe, for example, journalism studies, um, maybe thinking about ICA divisions, uh, they've done, or obviously global communication division, um, they have been much more receptive to uh, work in Latin America or from Latin America. Um, I do think that in PR, there are a few uh, scholars, of course, um, there's even a pre-conference about public relations and organizational communication in Latin America at ICA this year that I'm really excited about. I'm, at, I'm attending that pre-conference. So there's obviously a group of people doing this type of work already um, and, and for years, some of them. So super appreciative and respectful, respectful of their work. But at the same time, we're still a minority. Um, it's still, uh, and specifically within public relations. Um, 
I do think that there's not a lot of people doing this type of research, obviously for, for different reasons, maybe the language is a barrier or maybe just like not enough knowledge in the region. Uh, but at the same time, I do see that, uh, that trend moving forward. And I do see uh, leadership at ICA or like the PR division wanting to support that uh, moving forward. So it's a good moment. Excellent. So taking advantage of that good moment, did that good moment translate into your job search experience? How was that for you? Did you consider going back to Chile or working in other countries not that are not the US? How was that? Yes, it was. Um, I would say that it played to my advantage. Um, I, I, I do think that um, like the job hunting experience, it was it was actually a really pleasant experience, even though it sounds really weird to say that. Um, but I do think that, um, and again, like UNC Chapel Hill and the resources there and the people there and the connections there, um, my advisor, for sure, my advisor, Dr. Lucinda Austin, she's very well connected to PR uh, divisions, uh, both at ICA, AJMC, which is another big conference that I attend. Um, and I think that they were very influential in why I landed at BU in the first place. Um, so the job uh, hunting experience, again, it was a good experience, I think. I do think that it, the people who I interviewed with were very receptive of my work uh, because of the regional focus and also because that it was something new, also from a critical cultural perspective. Um, it was also something that was of interest, I would say. Um, I did consider, I did apply to schools both in the U.S. and in Chile, and this opportunity at BU came up, and I decided to take it because uh, it seemed like the best fit for where I was at the moment, and so far it's been a wonderful experience. They provided me with lots of resources to conduct the research that I'm interested in, um, and um, it's been it's been a wonderful experience so far. And the transition from student to faculty, being in the classroom as the lead instructor in English and participating in faculty governance, um, you know, feeling perhaps the, or perhaps not, but uh, the, the passing of time for the tenure clock. Yeah. <laughs> so all of, all of those things and more. And I think that, um, and I've been, I've been asked this question uh, a few times. Uh, and I always, uh, my response to this question, it's always, I feel like my first year of grad school. Um, that's exactly the same, the feeling that I have right now. It's that it's this feeling of excitement of wanting to do lots of things at the same time, but the, the time is just not enough to do everything. I do think that, um, like that feeling of like wanting to do all these things and time just slips by and you don't have enough. Again, time, I feel so spread thin. <laughs> um, that's my feeling about this first year as a, as a faculty member. But, um, and obviously something that should be acknowledged is that imposter syndrome uh, never goes away. Um, it, it just never goes away, not even, and I, and I am, and again, so thankful for all the things that I that I that I've achieved um, and proud of it as well. But at the same time, 
um, imposter syndrome, it's there, you know, even, and I think particularly uh, in the early stages of the tenor uh, clock, because you, you already, you know, the rules of the game and you know, the expectations and that can become a little bit um, um, overwhelming at times, <laughs> but there are obviously occasions in which you, you can ground yourself and then just try to see things in perspective um, and then just take it uh, more slowly or with more peace, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how, how do you cope with the, all the stress uh, of the tenure process, tenure track? <laughs> so, I mean, there are so many answers to this. I do think I, tr and I'm going to give a very practical <laughs> answer. I'm not sure if this is going to make a lot of sense, but I rely heavily on my calendar. So, and I am very respectful of my specific, like my Outlook calendar. <laughs> like it's my go-to for everything. I use that for everything. Like, and I block times on purpose, very intentionally for, for things that I want to do. So for example, if I want to go to the gym, I block time for that. Or if I want to go and have lunch with someone, I block time for that. If I want to write or just get an R&R &R done, I block four hours just for that. And that's my that's my task. And I'm not finished until I finish it. You know, that's how I do it. I try to be super structured. And that's the way I kind of like survived the PhD program, I would say. Um, I would rely a lot on my on my calendar and just being respectful of this is what I need to get done today. I'll try my best. Obviously, there are times when I'm not uh, able to finish. Right. And we're all humans and we should be aware of that. But I do try my best to get it done um, within the time frame that I've set to complete each assignment. And I think that's what's gotten me to where I am today. The calendar. Maybe that's a magical power. Maybe if you had other magical powers and and could be granted one wish about how you would like the field of communication and media studies to change. What do you wish for? Oof. So I've also been asking, uh, but, but I've been thinking about these uh, question, and I have two. <laughs> I have two wishes. Okay. Um, so I think my first wish, uh, it's it's like, I don't know if it's like dull or not, but here it goes. I would love for ICA to be held somewhere in Latin America. <laughs> Um, and I know that there's been lots of conversations around this topic and how feasible that is or how unfeasible maybe that is. But I do think that having the conference, the actual conference there in any country within the region would be would be great. And that would be my wish. <laughs> and then another wish um, that I was thinking about was more about the value of translation of our work. Uh, I'm trying to be like very practical about what could be these wishes uh, and how attainable they are. Um, obviously, um, there are people out there who have translated their work. Like, for example, you are a great example of that with your work. Uh, but I don't think that a lot of scholars are afforded that opportunity because it's not rewarded, right? It's, it doesn't count for publications or it doesn't count for research. And it's extra work that you're putting on top of you. So, um, but at the same time, I do think that as a discipline, we should be more aware of the value of translation. And the reason why I'm saying that it's because 
when, again, going all the way back to my undergrad years um, back in Chile and then learning about theory or learning about media ethics or news theory, all these topics, most of the texts were in English. And it was actually very challenging for some of us to finish that and understand and engage with that. And that's something that exi exists until this very day. I do think that providing more access to scholarship in other languages would be something of a lot of value to people out there. And then maybe they have the skills to go and um, get a career or pursue a career in academia uh, doing this type of work that is very um, Anglophone centric. Uh, but then at least um, affording the opportunity to others to see that research and present it in their own language, I think that would be something super helpful moving forward. It's an excellent wish uh, on which to end our conversation. Pablo, thank you very much uh, for sharing your experience and your ideas with us. Thank you to our listeners for staying with us uh, through the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thanks again, Pablo. This was great. Thank you. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I'm Pablo Wojcicki, the host, and I'm joined by executive producer Facundo Swenson.